Thank you. All right, good. Well, we're so glad that you guys are here joining us for the first Wednesday back after our summer hiatus. I want to invite everybody just because it is hard for me as a communicator when the room is kind of this scattered. There's probably 15 or 20 of us in here. And so although it seems like you two lovebirds are enjoying having your own section, if you guys would mind making the way into the middle section in the first few rows, if you need to sit by yourself for some reason, feel free to do that. But I am excited to share with you guys tonight on a culture of discipleship. We're going to talk about community. And if you guys could just kind of bring it in for me, that's going to help me feel connected to you and for us to feel connected to one another. So good. All right. Thank you guys so much. So I'm Hazen Stevens. I'm one of our, ex- one of our pastors here, the executive pastor over all of our operations. And I've been on staff with what was IHOP Atlanta. We merged with the a church, a local church, and then became Gate City Church in the last couple of years. And I'm excited to share with you a little bit of our journey to commit to the idea of becoming a church culture that disciples. And so I'm going to share a little bit of that journey, a little bit of my personal journey in becoming a person who's committed to the discipleship of others and being discipled myself. And then I'm going to give you guys six components to a well-discipled life. And I'm going to leave just with some really practical things around how you can be discipled and be discipling others around our three main themes for discipleship, which we're doing a series right now on, which is altar, table, and road. So I have a question for you guys tonight. If you wanted to get really physically fit, like me, and uh, that was a joke, no one laughed, one person nervously laughed. But uh, they were just like, please don't flex again. Okay, was that a flex? I'm not sure. I can't see. It's because you're too far back. That's the <laughs> but in all seriousness, if you wanted to become a physically healthy person, there are probably three things that you would tell somebody to do if they were going to get healthy. What are the three things? Just shout them out. Let's get interactive for a moment here, fam. What are the kinds of things you would tell people to do? Thank you. What would you say? Eat good. Eat good. You want to eat good, right? You... Exercise, that's good. And what's the third one? We all love it. Sleep, okay, eat, exercise, and sleep. Now, what happens if you're wanting to get healthy? I know no metaphor is perfect, okay? It eventually begins to break down. I'm gonna use this as a metaphor for our spiritual life in just a moment. It's not an exact metaphor, but just hang with me. What happens if you eat right, okay, and you exercise, but you don't get enough sleep? Are you gonna be a healthy person with that component of your life lacking or out of balance, right? You're gonna be like, Maybe exercising a whole bunch, falling asleep on the, on the Stairmaster or on the treadmill because you didn't sleep right, okay? Has anybody ever tried to sleep right and exercise but not eat right? There are a few times where we, it was funny. We signed up for this soccer league a number of years ago, and then somebody called a fast in the middle of our, of our soccer season, and we all felt like we were supposed to do the fast. So our, our gate city was then IHOP Atlanta, but imagine our soccer team of uh, missionaries and pastors trying to go out and play soccer while they were fasting. Needless to say, it was quite comical. We're choked. I'm like grabbing a Hulk smoothie on the way to try and get a little bit of energy to play, and then I'm throwing up the Hulk smoothie on the side of the field. It was pretty hilarious because we were exercising, we're sleeping right, but we weren't eating right. Okay. And so, and in the same way, obviously, if you, if you eat really good and you sleep a whole lot, but you don't exercise, right, you're going to have a fitness problem. Okay. In the same way, right. Altar, table, road. If you have a spiritual life, 
in which you are praying. You are seeking God in revelation, but you're not out on the road sharing the things that you've learned. You'll become a spiritually stagnant person because you're gonna be constantly feeding yourself, but you're not offering any nourishment, encouragement. You're not sacrificing in order to nourish, encourage, and share with another. In the same manner, okay, if you're a person who is committed to the table, you're committed to community, you love building relationships, you love loving well through serving and through giving your life, laying your life down, but you're neglecting first commandment love and you're prioritizing the second commandment over the first commandment, your life will be a little bit out of whack. The healthy spiritual life, just like the healthy physical life, has to do with finding the right balance between our devotional life at the altar, our community life at the table, using our gifts to serve one another, sacrifice for each other, and build one another up, and then taking what God has given us to the road, sharing, our, sharing the gospel message both to those immediately around us and having consideration for those who've never had the opportunity to hear. And can I tell you that though there may be different seasons where you emphasize a different one, and I'm gonna talk about rhythms, practices, and seasons in a moment just as a principle. Can I tell you, if you live a life that comprehensively embraces those things, you're gonna live, you are gonna be spiritually a triathlete. You're gonna be somebody that has a capacity to bring life everywhere you go because you're gonna be flowing vertically in your relationship with God, truly having a vibrant spiritual life at the altar. You're gonna be a person that is committed to relationship at the table and someone who uses their gifts to love and serve others and receive from others in discipleship relationships, sharpening one another. And then you're also gonna be a person that is confident that you, know, you can go and pray for that neighbor that doesn't know the Lord that's struggling with sickness. Or if a family member calls you and says, hey, I got a bad diagnosis, and all of a sudden the questions of mortality are coming to their mind because they're facing the prospect of, of what life might be like when it comes to an end. And they're considering the things of eternity for the first time. I don't know if anybody's ever been around a family member or a person that they have a near-death experience or they're caught in a situation where they're confronted with their own mortality because of loss. But all of a sudden, the questions of spirituality that were irrelevant yesterday all of a sudden become relevant. Are you equipped to answer in that moment? What would I do? What would, I, what would I need to do to have a relationship with God and be confident today that I'm going to heaven? We as believers need to be equipped to be able to give that answer with clarity when God puts that situation in front of us. Amen? Amen. And so that's what it is to be a disciple that just like we're physically healthy, we also become spiritually healthy at the altar, the table, and the road. And so what we're trying to do, though, is not challenge people to live independently in that manner, okay? We want to live that way, just like we want to be, uh, to use the metaphor of a good physical athlete, you, you don't only want to be an all-star athlete, but you want to be an all-star athlete that works within a team. And in the same way, we want to build a church community that not only has disciples that are living that way, but living that way in community. I'm going to tell you a story of a book that I read that really illustrated that. And it seems like the mic's a little hot up here. Is it sound a little echoey in the room, or is that just me? Okay, I'm good. All right, good. So there's a book. I enjoy a, a good historical adventure story. Anybody else with me in the room? Okay, thank you. That's <laughs> great. All right. And, uh, and so there was a great historical story that I read maybe a year ago now called The Island of the Lost. If you want to read it, it was by an author named Joan Druitt. And it's about a shipwreck in the 1860s 
off the island of Auckland, which is near New Zealand and Australia and that part of the world in the Pacific. And what's fascinating about this story is there were actually two shipwrecks, and on this island, the island is divided by very mountainous and rocky terrain. And there was one shipwreck on the north side of the island, another shipwreck on the south side of the island. And in one situation, the people who were shipwrecked banded together, and I'm going to tell you about what happened to them in a moment. In the other situation, when the shipwreck occurred, everyone acted like every man for themselves. And I'll tell you what happened to that group. I think you can imagine where we're going. And so for that small group that, that banded together, there was actually a Christian that was in the midst of that group. And he actually began to lead them in the reading of the Bible and in prayer. And they actually had a little community altar in the midst of this group of survivors on this island of this shipwreck. Soon, they banded together as a community, and they actually began to have fellowship together around their daily activities, and there was a distribution of responsibility, and one person would hunt, one person would cook, one person would attend to their campground, and they functioned together in team around the table, and they did everything together, caring for one another when one was sick, and so they had a altar, a true community, communal spiritual reality. They had a table where they were serving and living together. And then eventually that little group decides we don't want to stay on this island forever. And they banded together on mission to actually build a ship and escape the island. And they actually went on the road and they, and they actually took a ship to sea and, and they were able to build that ship together. And I think it was two of the guys that were healthier. One of the guys actually set out to do that and they came back and rescued the man who was too sick to go. And they actually came back and they, and they made that perilous journey because they were committed to their community and all the ones who originally got shipwrecked in that instance survived. What a powerful illustration of how things can happen when we do it together. Now on the other side of the island where all the people were every man to themselves, when the shipwreck occurred, people scattered into the bush. They went and hunted for themselves. There was mistrust and an effort to try and maintain resources for themselves. And the, the men actually would fight one another. And all this conflict broke out because they weren't able to anchor together, band together in community. And the majority of those men, which there was a far greater number that were shipwrecked in that instance, the majority of them actually died, sadly. And the only reason that group was able to, any of them were able to survive is because a ship fortuitously sailed by and actually saw some of the people that were there that were shipwrecked on that side of the island. And, and a, a couple of them mercifully lived to tell the tale. And so what a dramatic depiction between what happens when we live independently versus we live for the sake of one another. And in this case, there was a, a believer that was a witness that helped lead that community uh, in, in the spiritual practices of altar. And so I just love that story because it highlights to me same amount of people, but when the same circumstances, same situation, same time frame, same challenges, and the only real difference was whether or not they were willing to come together or whether or not they were divided and, and competing. And that ability to come together, if you read the story, it's not a Christian book, but it gives credit to the principles and the Christian morality that existed within the group that came together as being the seedbed of that service towards one another. What a remarkable story. So Island of the Lost, if you wanna check that out, folks at home watching virtually wanna check that out. It's a great story. And so a number of years ago, for our own journey at Gate City Church, 
we visited a church planning intensive for a community, uh, a church community in Southern California, and they have church plants about 30 all across the nation. It's a, a called Antioch Movement. And this church, maybe you've heard of them, is known for their missions and for their discipleship. And so we went to learn from them how they plant churches and how they do discipleship. And it was one of the most encouraging things because we met some of their staff, and their sound person you know, was also an evangelist who was sharing with his friends and inviting them to church. And when we went out and did evangelism as a part of their church planning intensive, so many of the people that we shared with said, oh, somebody's invited me to church or somebody shared with me from that church. And so I could see this was a community that was living on mission together, that it wasn't just the pastors or the evangelism or outreach pastor that was doing the work of missions. It was the community doing the work of missions together. And the testimony among the unbelievers in the community was, yeah, I've been to that church. Yes, those people are loving. And it just really spoke to me, and it made me go, what is it that they're doing? Uh, I have to find out what is it that they're doing that is causing them to be so successful in reproducing a culture of discipleship. And they were fervent in prayer. We had a prayer meeting while we were out there and I had such respect and high regard for their prayer culture as well. And they really were living in community with each other. Now, no church is perfect. And if you find the perfect church, don't go there because you'll ruin it, okay? But, but in, all, in, in all seriousness, right, though they weren't perfect, I recognize, man, they have an ability to reproduce something to do, through discipleship that I haven't even necessarily experienced in my own life. Now, I've been discipled by example. I've had different people from this house, leaders in this house, deposit in my life in different seasons. But how many of you know that kind of finding your own way in the discipleship journey is very different than being a part of a culture that systematically disciples people? And I recognize that though we have had different forms of discipleship in our community over the years, we have... Uh, not embraced systematic discipleship from the youngest to the most mature in our community. And we haven't necessarily created a culture of discipleship. And we came away from that time, Andrew and I, I remember we distinctly had a conversation with Billy where we said, you know, we really have a vibrant prayer life. We have such wonderful core messages in our community, but our best method of discipling people has a, a, a threshold that's pretty high. Our best method over the past few years, just being candid, has been our internships, which is an amazing, if you do our, how many have done our internships in this room? Maybe a handful of people. And it, it's such a positive experience. It's a testimony to the positive experience that so many who go through our discipleships find themselves in our community years later, still, still benefiting from what was sown into their lives during that season. It's really a positive transformational experience. But you can't have a job while you take three months to be discipled in our internship program. And if you have a family or, you know, you're not independently wealthy or retired uh, or, or a young college person, it can be pretty difficult for you to participate. And the testimony that we constantly heard over and over again was people saying, we really would like the internship experience, but can you offer something at a time that works better for my season of life? Can you offer it in a format that's different where it's not full-time during the day? And so we recognize that that our internship process worked really well for discipling people in a certain season of life. But the vast majority of our, of our church environment in, in this present time needs a different solution, needs a different format. So we knew that that was one of the problems that we had to confront. Another one of the challenges that we wanted to confront just as a, as a spiritual family was answering this question that uh, 
we send missionaries to the hardest and darkest places for three months. Oftentimes, their training here is three months, about a month of support raising, and we send them for three months. It's a seven-month process to get someone into the nations. Now, those people are going to hard places where it, you might actually be arrested or kicked out of the country for sharing the gospel, and we felt God gave us a unique prophetic assignment to send to the hardest and darkest places. But how many of you know that that is not the most conventional way to disciple people in global missions? And then in the same way that an internship presents certain challenges for people to being able to get the culture of our house, also the way we were doing missions presents some challenges for people getting a, a touch from God in their hearts concerning the nations. So these are some of the problems that were presented in front of us. And we went to Antioch, Waco, and one of the things that we discovered were solutions to a few of these exact problems. Okay, are you guys with me so far? It's interesting stuff, huh? So we visited this church at Antioch, Waco, and we asked them, we said, we've experienced your discipleship culture, and it seems like you guys have figured out not only how to produce something good, which how many of you know the fruit of discipleship in our house is amazing? I'm, I am a testimony to the fruitfulness of our discipleship, and I'm looking around the room seeing people that I know. Your lifestyle, what God is producing, is a testimony to the discipleship that happens through this spiritual family. So I'm not downing that. I believe very much in how we disciple through the prayer room, through our internships, through our classes. But we are producing disciples, but I want to go from producing them to reproducing them. Can I get an amen? I want to go from adding disciples to multiplying disciples. And so I know the only way that we can make that shift in our culture is to understand what people who are doing, who are, who are successfully reproducing, what, is it that, what are some of the things that you're doing that are putting that in the widest group of people possible? And it was really fascinating because their two answers fit two of our main problems. Are you with me so far? They said two of the ways that we discovered that we can really do discipleship. They said, we used to have a full-time daytime school and we did it for years. And they said that was really good, but it also kind of created this artificial bubble in which people could come into, our, come into our training program and apart from the pressures of school and normal life, they could get an infusion of training and equipping to live you know, as a Christian, live on mission and all those things. They said that was effective, but they said, you know, we found that when we made it longer and accessible to people in the everyday of their normal life, we actually made better disciples. Meaning that by actually training people in the same content while they have to hold the tension of a job or their family responsibilities, you actually better prepared them to live their faith out in real life. Can I get an Amen. And it's not either or. It's not to say that doing that's bad. Just saying there was an unintended benefit to doing the other way that we hadn't recognized. The other thing they said, they said that our school of discipleship is one of the best things that we've done. And then they said the other thing that we've done is we take people on short-term missions. And in short-term missions, they get an infusion of our culture. They get trained to do things they wouldn't normally do in their everyday life. And they get put in situations where they have to trust God in a new way. And they said, aha, we recognize that while we want to keep long-term planting into the hardest and darkest places, and we want to continue to equip people to live full-time ministry, equip them to do full-time ministry in a, in a house of prayer context, we recognize that those aren't the best solutions for discipleship for the average person who has jobs and responsibilities and callings outside of full-time ministry, okay? 
And so what we endeavored to do is what's brought us to this current season where we are going to have our first Gate City short-term missions trip within the next six months. We're going to have our very first school of discipleship that's going to be structured in the evenings, two semesters, and we feel like we are about to offer a reproducing culture of discipleship to our spiritual family that is going to not only make the same quality of disciples that we've made historically, but also reproduce them in a much more efficient way. And when I say efficient, what I mean is that it's going to be able to touch people exactly where they are in their life circumstances. Is it going to require sacrifices? Absolutely no discipleship that is worth anything doesn't ever demand things of you, but it's demanding it of you in a way in which you can actually rise to those circumstances and not putting too great a hurdle in front of you. And what is the format in which we are going to disciple? We're going to disciple you around the altar in the context of night and day worship and prayer. And then how do you use your spiritual life in your family or in your home life? How are you interacting around the table in community and small groups together as a part of this discipleship school or a part of the short-term missions? And then how are we on the road together accomplishing what God has called us to do? How are we actually living on mission together today, right, and in the nations? And I'm just so excited because I think that People are going to come into this season that we're about to go into one way, and I think they're going to come out totally different. I think they're going to come out strengthened in God and more mature. I think we're going to see literally before our eyes in this season the beautifying of the bride of Christ as we seek to endeavor to see a whole spiritual family discipled in community, life on life, in the values of the kingdom that we hold dear. Can I get an amen from somebody? Isn't that a beautiful story? How we went to God with questions and he has provided some strategies and answers that I'm really, really encouraged about. Good. So I want to talk a little more about just giving you that context, a little more about how you can join into this season, okay? And and it may be through actually participating in the discipleship school. It may be through going on a short-term missions trip. There are also some other things we're launching. We're going to be doing a staff track to help disciple people that are on staff with us. We're going to be launching groups that study end times together. I'm really excited about that. And we're going to be doing that for people that aren't able to take the bigger chunk of time commitment in the coming year. We still want to be able to put people in community around the word and in prayer. We're going to be doing more. We've been doing these Gate City Lead classes. We've been doing leadership equipping for volunteers. But what I want to challenge this little group that I have with us tonight and those that are watching virtually is right now is not a moment in the life of our spiritual family to sit back and spectate. Right now is a moment in the life of our spiritual family to engage and to begin to partake of the opportunities for discipleship that we're presenting. And I really believe as we as, as leaders and as staff and as pastors begin to offer this variety, this smorgasbord, this buffet of beautiful opportunities, kingdom opportunities to do altar table road together, as our spiritual family says, yes, oh, we're going to become such a more beautiful and mature bride. I'm so excited for this moment. If you're showing up at Gate City today for the first time, welcome. It's a good day to be here. It's a good day to be here. And so I want to talk a little more tonight. I'm going to actually pause right there. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to talk a little more about how do you begin to engage with those things practically. I went to a church conference recently, and they said, you need to always put the cookies on the bottom shelf so the littlest guy can grab them. And so if you're in this room, you're like, I'm a new believer. I started last week. I want you to be able to walk out of this room with something practical for you because you just started to serve with Jesus. And you're like, I don't know what a short-term missions trip is. 
If you'd like to go on a short-term mission trip, know what a missions trip is, see me after service. But I know that's a real, that's a real thing. And the example the pastor gave was so uh, precious. He said, you know, so he gets constant reminders of why it's important to make things as simple as possible for people. And he had somebody come up to them afterwards and said, hey, can you explain, after one of the services, can you explain why they have a name and a number with those dots afterwards? Like, what, is that, what does that mean? And he's like, are you, are you pulling my chain? Like, is that a joke? And the person said, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm brand new. I've never been in church. I don't know what that, and he goes, well, those are the names of the different people throughout the history of the Bible that God wrote his word through, and whoever wrote it, it was ascribed to them in the name of the book, and then, there's, and then they broke that down in chapter and in verse so that people can find their way through those books. And she goes, that's brilliant. Did you come up with that? <laughs> and so we just... We just never know who might be showing up. And if you want to know what the, that those names are with those numbers, you can see me after service for that as, as well. But we want to make this part of discipleship as we recognize we need to be able to give milk to those who need milk, and we need to be able to give meat to those who need meat so that we can all grow together into the fullness of what Christ has for us. So I'm going to, again, I'm going to pray for us in just a moment, and then I'm going to talk a little bit more about this philosophy of discipleship, hopefully as an invitation for you to engage in your own discipleship and the discipleship of others like you never have before in your life. Because that is the corporate season that we're in, and I believe it's an invitation for many of you in this room. Amen? So what I want to pray for is you just heard some of our, our prophetic journey in solving problems, and, and I know, I'm sm smart enough and familiar enough with the church to know that there are some people in here who have been hurt by distorted views of discipleship. That there are people in this room who would say, you know what, as you were unpacking that story, it actually brings pain to my heart because I feel like I've never been discipled, I feel like I've never been a part of a church culture that disciples in a healthy way, or I've been abused or mistreated in discipleship. And so as I'm describing the season that we're going into, you're like, uh-oh, I've heard some of that before, or uh-oh, I've been over-promised and under-delivered on before, or uh-oh, and it's like your walls go up, and I just want to pray that God would minister to those parts of your heart and heal those places, and that he would be the one in this season, and that we would be faithful as a spiritual family to love you well as we begin to invite people into this kind of relationship, and that there would be nothing in your past that would rob you of the opportunity that's before you. So if that resonates with you, I just want to invite you to stand up right where you are right now. If you're at home, you can stand up too. If you're in your car, don't stand up, but you can, in your heart, stand up, okay? Amen. So I believe this is a prophetic moment for you to receive from the Lord. Thank you for your courage to stand and respond. And I first want to challenge you, if there's someone that is connected to that, that hurt in your heart that you need to forgive, just to take a moment and make the choice to forgive. Your emotions may follow, but make the choice to forgive. Lord, I forgive that pastor. I forgive that mentor. I forgive that parent. I forgive that Sunday school teacher. God, I bless them right now. And I just pray over you that the wounds of others wouldn't rob you of God's purpose. The wounds of others wouldn't rob you of God's fullness. But that the Lord would come to you in this season. 
that you wouldn't need to feel like a lone ranger anymore, but you'd find your place in the body. You'd find your place at the table. You'd find your place side by side with others in the altar. That you'd find your place hand in hand with people in the mission and the road. And that we would go together into the place that God has for us. And so I bless you right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let your heart be made whole in Jesus' name. Let forgiveness flow freely to all that have wronged you. And let all the places where the attack of evil one has twisted up things inside, we just pray those things would just be healed and made whole right now in the name of Jesus. And we just declare over you, each and every one in this room, that you don't need any special training. You don't need any particular experience. You don't need any more than who you are to disciple and be discipled. And that that is God's portion for you as a part of this family. That you would give and receive in the altar, at the table, and on the road. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for your presence right now. I just pray it would increase, Lord. And that your supernatural gift of wholeness would be given to each one in this room. We pray these things now in the powerful and holy name of Jesus. Amen. 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 You can be seated. Thank you for those that stood. Thank you for those that just received in the heart. We bless all of you who received online virtually. So I want to share three aspects, and my wife's going to expound on it in our next series, our next series, The Journey of the Disciple. And, and my wife and I were discussing today, we were talking about the spiritually formed life, the life of a disciple. And we said, really, there are three consistent components to anyone's uh, discipleship experience. There's, there may be more, but you can kind of distill it down to these three basic things. I said them earlier, I'll say them again now. If you're taking notes, I didn't have notes prepared, I just have my own notes here, but if you're taking notes, I encourage you to just kind of write these three ideas down because if you think about Altar Table Road as kind of an overarching way to measure and evaluate your engagement as a disciple in the core things that are most important, which is your devotional life, your relationship to church and spiritual family, and the, and the actual road, which is our mission. And, you know, you, you can tie each of those two imperatives that Jesus declared. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Matthew 22, that's what it means to live at the altar, to live a life of, of vertical integration. Horizontal integration, the new commandment, which is to love one another, the bride, the unified bride. Jesus said, as I have loved you, we see that in the upper room discourses in Matthew, I believe, uh, chapter 15. And then we also see, and then we also see the uh, imperative to love one another as, uh, as we would desire to be loved as our neighbors, to love each other as we would, uh, to love our neighbors as we would love ourselves, again in Matthew 22. And that's, again, this idea of community and how we live in community and then rode the Great Commission. So the Great Commandment, the New Commandment, the Second Commandment, the Great Commission, those are the things Jesus says are most important, right? 
And so we see altar table road reflected in those things. And so we take those as like the most important things in scripture, the things that Jesus put a big blinking sign on. And, and when people came to him and said, what's most important? He said, this is the thing. The, all the law and the prophets hang on loving God with all your soul, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Paul the apostle says it this way, 1 Corinthians 13. I'll show you the most excellent way. And then he goes on to describe love. Okay? And so these are the priorities of disciples. This is how the whole world, it says in John 13, will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. So these are the imperatives of the priorities. But what becomes important is that's great for love being the answer, love towards God, love others. Okay, I got that. That's the priority. But how do I do that? And all of your life is basically going to break down to these three ideas. You have practices. You have rhythms in which you do those practices, and you have seasons. Rhythms, practices, and seasons. And if you study monastic orders, they have something called a rule of life. And when you examine rules of life, which are descriptions of how they're committing to live when you live in, uh, in cloistered communities as monks, they're committing to a variety of things. One of those commitments might be to give away all their property, or the commitments might be towards daily prayer. The commitments might be to a certain rhythm of fasting. But as they make these commitments, those commitments can basically be broken down into three things. Rhythms, practices, and seasons. Somebody say rhythms, practices, and seasons. And if you want to be intentional about growth in your spiritual life, if you want to be spiritually fit around the altar table and the road, you need to begin to think about what are my rhythms, what are my practices, and what are my seasons. I feel like coming out of this summer, I've had more of a season of table with the family, right? Quality time and vacations, and you might be able to tell, but I've been eating some pretty good meals this summer, and I'm feeling pretty good about it. It hasn't been as much of a season of fasting or discipline in the area of the altar. It's been more of a time of devotion and spiritual family around the table, right? Uh, spirituality with my family around the table. And so I feel like it's a fresh season for me to begin to devote myself to some practices and create a different kind of rhythm for the upcoming season. So I'm going to dedicate the next 21 days to fasting and prayer because it's the start of a new season. I felt the Lord prophetically invite me to that. So I'm going to get up each morning, God willing, and, and devote the first hour of my day to prayer at 5 a.m. I got myself a prayer pro partner, and we're going to start tomorrow morning. And you know what? I don't live praying every morning at 5 a.m. It's a season that I'm committing to a rhythm, right, and a practice of fasting and prayer. And I can promise you it's gonna produce something in my life. And most importantly, I'm doing it in response to an invitation from the Lord. How many of you have had distinct seasons in your life where there's been a season, a rhythm, and a practice that God has grown you in? Yeah? And how many of you know you can't do everything in every season, right? There's a season for fasting, there's a season for feasting, and there's an appropriate place for both in the life of the believer, okay? And so beginning to think about how am I living at the altar, how am I living at the table, how am I living at the road, right? My family and I spent seven weeks in Kenya last uh, two summers ago. And that seven weeks in, in Kenya was a very specific season in which we were on mission together as a family, right? And so that season had rhythms and practices related to the mission that we were on that are entirely different than the rhythms and practices that we have here in the United States, there was a little group of young Muslim women that lived in the neighborhood that we were in. And part of the 
practice of that season was they would come and, and they would come in and my wife and my girls would give them treats and try and uh, engage with them culturally. And it was giving my children exposure to something entirely different than what they have here in the United States. And they were able to try to be a witness in ways that were appropriate, in <laughs> a language barrier and different things. And how many of you know, if, if you mix the wrong practice and the wrong, and the wrong rhythm with, with the wrong season, you can end up doing the wrong things in the wrong, you can end up doing the wrong things in the wrong timing. Okay, and so is 5 a.m. prayer good? Yeah, 5 a.m. prayer is awesome, right? I didn't get enough hearty amens on 5 a.m. prayer in this room. But, but when I'm in a season on mission with my family, okay, that may not be a season for 5 a.m. prayer. You know, that may be a season where the rhythm and the practice is different and distinct, unique to the season. And so to be a truly spiritual, discerning person, we develop a rule of life that says we prioritize things we prioritize altar, table, and road, but in one season, the road may take emphasis, and another season, the altar may take emphasis, and some season, the table may take emphasis. How many of you know that some of us are, are, all of us are called to engage in different ways, but some of us are hobbled in our spiritual journey because the enemy has wounded us in some way related to the altar, the table, or the road? And so we do great in our closet in prayer, and we do great sharing the gospel with others, but you feel nervous sitting in church on Sunday because another believer has wounded you and you have a hard time finding your place at the table. How many of you know, some of us are very comfortable interacting with each other, but we lack confidence in hearing the voice of God, and maybe it's a painful place to go to prayer because you feel like he doesn't bless you or speak to you like someone else does when you're in the altar. How many of you know you're willing to pray, you love church community, but the moment you step outside the walls of the church, just real talk, you get nervous living your faith out in front of unbelievers because of the ridicule, because of the embarrassment, because of, of the, the ways that you feel nervous just sharing your life vulnerably with others. And it's not that your heart's not good or that you're well-meaning. You just are challenged by the spirit of intimidation that's against Christians in our culture. Can I tell you, I am challenged at times real talk, by the spirit of intimidation that exists in our culture. And so we have to be intentional to find the right practices, the right rhythms, and the right season. Amen. I believe, Gate City Church, I believe if you're in this room, you can embrace a right rhythm, a right practice in the right season, and, and just those simple understandings around altar table road from this message and right rhythm, right practice, and right season and beginning to make commitments in, in those. Some of you are already thinking about, okay, I feel an invitation in this area to go deeper or I feel a distortion in this area. I know I need to ask God to heal me to, so I can find my place at the table, the altar, or on the road. Those simple principles will help you live a vastly more purposeful and enriched Christian journey. And you know who's in charge of your spiritual journey? I remember one of the first times I went uh, to lunch with Billy Humphrey. Really looked up to him. I'd been in his ministry for maybe a, a year or so. And we were going to, to lunch for the very first time. I remember we were driving to Chipotle. It was 16 years ago. And I'll never forget one of the things he said because I was very anxious about my calling at that time in my life as a young man. And I was unsure of what God had called me to. And I was probably just prattling on about, you know, I don't know what God wants me to do, and I'm in a season. And I just remember him looking at me and going, you know, sometimes we forget that God's a far better leader of our lives than we are. 
And if we lean and rest into the arms of our Savior, our, our bridegroom and our King and our God, our Father, and we just rest in his arms, he's going to direct our life into the fullness of his purpose. And we don't have to be fearful or striving because he is a much better leader than we are followers. That was the exact phrase that he said to me. God is a much better leader than you are a follower. So just as we're thinking about, okay, rhythms, practices, seasons, altar, table, road, don't think about what you should. I want to encourage people, you really shouldn't should on yourselves. And, and I, I want to encourage you, what you, should, what, you, what you can do is to, to, I'm glad you thought that was funny. I appreciate that. What, what you can do is, is lean into the leadership and invitation of God in these areas. And he is going to be the one who leads you in your discipleship journey. Amen. Amen. You know, some of the ways that I've seen God do that is initiating invitations to seasons of fasting and prayer like I just described. Sometimes there's a sense, like there's a book I need to read and there's a story from that book that's provoking to me. And how many of you know when you feel provoked by the testimony of someone else, that's an invitation, right? I remember one particular time there was a guy who was preaching from the word of God with such fervency and anointing and a spirit of revelation. I remember just feeling this thing in me like, God, I must have more depth. And I just went that night into just an hour and a half or, or so, maybe two hours of just crying out to God for that thing that, I, that had touched my soul in the life of another. Like I could have been maybe covetous of his gift or I could have responded, but I let that provocation of seeing something in someone else that was just greater than something I recognized was in my life. And I let it provoke me to spiritual hunger and I responded in crying out to God. And on the other side of that prayer, like within the next few days was a powerful encounter. And so I share that story, that simple story, to say we, we, let, the, we let God initiate in our hearts and then we, res, we respond to his initiation and his invitation. And oftentimes we respond at the altar and we walk it out at the table and on the road. So I told you I want to make it really simple for us. I want to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. I've talked about just kind of how we form a spiritual life. Again, altar, table, road. And then the simple ideas, rhythms, practices, and seasons. But I want to talk about, for altar, table, and road, uh, for each of those, two or three components of the discipled life. Okay? And this is both in giving and receiving. So at the altar, and I just picked the ones that I feel like have changed my life the most. Okay? The ones that I go, this is... If I, could give a, if I could wrap a spiritual gift in a box and hand it to someone, these are the things that I would love to hand them. The first, at the altar, the first gift that I want to give you of a discipled life is prayer that apprehends an answer. If you're writing these down, just prayer that apprehends an answer. Faith-filled prayer. This past Tuesday, we were at our 4 to 6 p.m. I, I have the honor of getting to lead that prayer meeting. And I'm always asking the Lord, Lord, what would you have us pray for? And I just sensed that we were to pray along the lines of what Chan preached on Sunday in our service. He prayed, first commandment, love unto great commission, mission. And as we were praying that, which is something we prayed many times before, I just received in my heart this gift of confidence that God was hearing our prayer and that he was going to answer with a greater measure of love in our hearts. 
and as we went on mission together. And it was, I was able to offer faith-filled prayer. And I remember I came off, you know, the, the time of the prayer meeting, and we were in transition. I was in the lobby, and I said to somebody, I said, I just love prayer so much because I'm so confident that what we just did is going to produce thousands of answers Thousands of amazing things happening that could be produced in the life through nothing else but faith-filled agreement in the place of prayer. Because we're praying God's word. We're praying the things that Jesus says are most important. And we're at the altar together. And when we're making intercession at the altar, to, I, I said to somebody, I said, I really am an intercessor, I promise you, I know it. Because I just get fired up talking about Because I go, prayer that apprehends an answer is the best, one of the best feelings in the kingdom of God. No kidding. It's only a little joy shy of leading a person to the Lord. And that feeling, if you haven't gotten in touch with that feeling, I would challenge you to make your way to the altar and begin to learn to pray in a way that you walk away confident that God has heard and filled with faith that he's going to do the thing that you're asking for. Because there is a, an effectiveness as a disciple, a joy as a believer that comes through no other way than I ask God to do something that could happen in no other way. And I know he heard it and I know he's going to do it. And in due time, I'm going to see it. Oh, baby, it's good stuff. Like, it's awesome. We fasted and prayed 21 days for Israel. Man, some of the prayers that we prayed during that season Earlier this, this summer and, and at the end part of spring, I think it was in May, where we were praying for that, leading up to the day of Pentecost. And then I'm in the midst of that season of prayer, and my friend, who's not necessarily in touch fully with what it is we're praying for, what we're doing, he invites me to go to Jerusalem with him. And Leslie and I, she's down here on the front, where we end up getting to have dinner in Jerusalem together. And we go, God is so good. How did we end up here at the tail end of a 21-day fast in Israel, praying for Israel, on the very steps where Peter preached on the day of Pentecost that I got to stay for that prayer meeting, you know, the, a few thousand years later... <laughs> From when that, or a few, I guess it was, I don't know, 2,000 years later, from when that prayer meeting happened, and here we are interceding, praying, and I go, we serve a God who hears prayer. We serve a God who shows up, and he does, he does the little so we can be confident he's also hearing the big. Right? He, do, he does the little, it was funny, we were in a season, we were praying for the city of Detroit, and we were interceding, and I remember uh, during the season of fasting and prayer, I showed up at Dunkin' Donuts. When I think I was getting a coffee or something. We were, <laughs> I don't think I was getting a donut in the middle of my fast. I hope I wasn't. Jesus' name. But we're there, Dunkin' Donuts. And in the midst of this fast for the city of Detroit, the, on the cover of the USA Today, Detroit Rising. And I think I'm just enough of a little kid that when that kind of stuff happens and you see it, and you're like, you know what? God is hearing my prayers and he's putting this on the cover of the USA Today just for me today. And so prayer that apprehends an answer. I mean, I could tell story after story after story of ways that I prayed something both big and small and I saw God directly answer the prayer. Sometimes the short term, sometimes the long term. It's one of the best feelings. A well-discipled life at the altar understands what it feels like to pray prayers that apprehend an answer. The other thing that is so precious to me, the other best feeling I only have a, you're going to be like, I think you said you have the best feeling about all these. I do feel really good about all these. That's why I picked them. But the spirit of revelation on the word. Have you ever opened the word of God 
And it's like Song of Solomon chapter 1 is happening to you, and he's kissing you with the kisses of his word. Ooh, the kisses of Jesus today in the word of God. You're just like, his love is better. I was singing on it on my set on a Tuesday morning. I'm committed because it's part of my practice around the corporate altar. I, I actually can lead worship and play piano decently. And so I, I do one hour a week. That's part of my rhythm and part of my practice. And I, I maintain that. In some seasons, I've done a lot more. But just singing the word of God, and I was just singing, kiss me the kisses of your word. Your love is better than wine. And I was just feeling in my soul just the truth of God's word as I was singing that. And it was like, you know, the word of God is much deeper than it is long. The phrase is a really short little phrase, but it's infinitely deep. And you just begin to feed on that revelation, the very word of God, and you just go, oh, it's so good, it's so rich. So a well-discipled life understands what it feels like to apprehend the answer to prayer, and, and the well-discipled life knows what it's like to have the breath of God upon the word of God. It's an awesome feeling. And so how do we cultivate that? It's simple. You practice prayer, you practice time in the word, and you let those things blossom in your life. But if you're not having quality time vertically with the Lord, you're only shoulder to shoulder with him in mission or in community. Can I tell you, you're missing out on dating your bridegroom. You know, a lot of life happens as you get kids, it gets busy. One of the best decisions I've made a few years ago is I went on a, I went on a, a, a retreat. It was actually a men's retreat. And we came back from that retreat talking about how we want to live differently. And I said, you know what I want to make sure I'm doing? I was about 10 years into marriage. I said, I want to make sure I don't stop dating my wife. And I prayed and said, Lord, will you make a provision? And we actually had a young woman move in with us. And for four years, she lived with us. And part of her rent was that she covered a date night every week for us. And so part of my spiritual practice in that season was my wife and I, for four years, very rarely did we miss it, is we got a weekly date night. Can somebody say hallelujah, God answers prayer. And so that was, <laughs> that was a part of our practice and rhythm in that season. And we got a little, we've gotten, she moved out, and my 12-year-old's now getting old enough to babysit without persecuting her sisters. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, we're about to put that rhythm back, back in of a weekly date night. I don't know, I, I, may, I may have got lost there in my points, but that was for somebody. I think the point is, I remember the point I was on, is that we need to have that intimate quality time with the Lord. And sometimes it takes intentionality and sacrifice in order to achieve that, right? And so, just like we never wanna stop dating our spouse, okay, we, we want to make sure that we're maintaining a quality place of intimacy with the Lord at the altar, and that's how we grow in these things. I'm like, Lord, help me that I would never just be in the Word so that I'd have something to repeat from a pulpit. Help me to love your Word because I love you. Help me I love prayer because I love communing with you and being with you. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my Word abides in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. Therein my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Connected to the word, God answering prayer, bearing a life that has fruit that brings glory to God as a disciple. This is what we're called to. And flowing and abiding freely in God's love as we do those things. Amen. So two components of the disciple life around the altar, prayer that apprehends an answer and the spirit of revelation. 
All right, you guys ready for the table? This is a simple one. It goes together. It won't take me very long. At the table, this is something that it's probably been the hardest thing for me, but I can tell you it's a rhythm and a practice in my life that has made probably as big a difference as anything. Are you ready for it? Mentors that you honor and mentees where you invest. Mentors that you honor and mentees where you invest. And I promise you that if you have mentors that you honor for a long enough time, it could be people that are discipling you, it could be spiritual mothers and fathers, kind of pick your term, but people that are further along in the faith that are imparting into your life wisdom, influence, uh, encouragement, asking you hard questions, people that can tell you no, people that you have real relationship, accountability, and, and open channels of discussion and vulnerability with, it will transform your life. If you've never had one before in your life, do the hard work to find and build those relationships. And the reason it was one of the most difficult ones for me was because I carried a father wound for a long time. And, it was, and, and it, that father wound caused me to maybe place my trust too quickly in some people and too slowly in others. And it took a long time for me to, to get healed in my heart and to begin to learn how to have those healthy relationships because it wasn't modeled for me with my natural father. But if you find yourself in the same position, it's worth it to do the hard work of heart work so you can form those healthy relationships. Because if you form them, they'll change you. Mentors that you honor. I have uh, right now a, a new mentorship relationship with someone, and we're, uh, we're talking once a week, and they're in a season of transition, and I don't just share my challenges, I ask about theirs. And one of the ways that I demonstrate honor to them is I take notes while they talk. And if there are things that I've done that they recommended, I make sure I come back and I tell them. And those are small ways that I've been intentional to honor the time that's being invested in me by someone who has greater experience than me. I'm going to offer service back to them in ways that I can't, even if it's as simple as praying for them. I'm going to consider the ways that I'm multiplying and communicate with them about ways that I'm multiplying the investment that they're putting in my life. And I'm also going to be intentional to just be on time and communicate around the commitment. And I'm not going to hold them responsible to do that. I'm going to own it because I know what I want in terms of my relationships and I'm gonna pursue it, amen? Do you know sons can do that with confidence but orphans will not do that? And the way you get that orphan spirit off of you is you recognize I am loved by my heavenly father and so while I can benefit from our relationship, I don't need our relationship because I have all that I need in my relationship with God, amen? And so I'm free to give and receive. I'm free to have a season where I'm discipled and then we're free to have a season where maybe we don't interact as much. But my heart is free in those things because I know I have what I need in my relationship with God and I know who I am and who I'm called to be so I can honor you and your contribution in my life no matter how much or how little it might be and how it might change over different seasons. But I recognize I honor the people that mentor me, not even so much because they're deserving of honor, though they are. I honor people because who I want to be as a person who honors. Amen? And then as someone who is where you, where you sow honor into those that are leading you, there really is a principle just like in mentorship of sowing and reaping. I'm sowing honor into the lives of others. And how many of you know, then you're gonna reap honor in relationships. If you're sowing into the lives of people that you're discipling, how many of you know you're gonna reap in those mentorship related people are gonna wanna sow into you. And so become the person Become the person who gives honor and sows sacrificially, and you're going to become a very attractive place to give and to receive mentorship.
Does that make sense? But if you think of yourself as a person that's like, no one ever wants to mentor me, God's forsaken me, nobody sees any value in me, like you're creating barriers within your own heart to the opportunities that God might want to lead you into. And the way that you find freedom is you go, I'm loved by God, I have what I need in my relationship with him, but I'm open, my heart is open for him to meet a need through a relationship that he might put into my life. And how many of you know we need different kinds of mentors? I needed professional mentors in my life to kind of help me, guide me in, in ministry, what I, what I was doing vocationally, but Lord knows I need people that can exemplify fatherly attributes to me as well and show me how to care for family. I need men that I go, I admire the way that man loves his wife, and I'm going to pay attention and ask him questions, right? And so we can have different kinds of mentors, and we can have different ways that we invest in people. One of my goals is that I would actually mentor my daughter who's 12 years old, but she, she needs something entirely different than the young men that I'm mentoring they're uh, young women that I'm mentoring in a professional context. And I go, different people at different ages, different spaces in their journey, they need different things, right? And so I don't have to be the mentor that offers everything to everyone, but in an area of my life where I have something to offer, I'm going to offer that freely and generously. So good, find mentors that you honor and then mentees where you can invest. And uh, I really wanted to get better at discipleship. So one of the ways that, uh, again, going back to the idea of seasons, rhythms, practices, I just said at the beginning of this year on uh, one day a week, I'm going to have a mentorship lunch with someone. And I found four guys that I wanted to invest in. And I just do about, for a season, I did one every single week. Now I'm probably doing about two, or, two a month, one day a week. And I'm just sitting with them. And I'm, I'm sharing with them. And then right now, Tuesday mornings, I'm having a mentorship call. So I have about once a week where I'm, I'm being mentored by someone. So, some of my relationships I'll meet with quarterly. Some I'll meet with a weekly, depending again on season, rhythm, practice. And then I've got that weekly time. And, I, and I'm making that time to make an intentional investment in somebody's life. Can I tell you those relationships where I've been intentional have become some of the most rewarding and wonderful relationships in my whole life? the beauty of giving and receiving in the kingdom. And I have grown spiritually as much through the relationships where I'm giving as the ones where I'm, I'm being intentional to receive and to honor. Amen? I know I'm making some people jealous in this room. Somebody's hearing that and they're going, I'm spiritually jealous, I want that. Can I tell you the testimony that I'm sharing right now is to provoke you and it's good for you to be spiritually jealous for that ask of God and he'll give it to you. Get that stinking thinking off of you that says, I'm disqualified from that. I'm too old. I, you know, I've been too wounded. I've tried that and they've hurt me. Do you know how many mentors I had betray me before I found some that were solid and good? None that were in this house, praise God. But there were a number that I reached for in relationship and they weren't spiritually healthy enough to reach my need. I don't need to share those stories tonight, but I can tell you I've had them. And I know, I know that the church is, you know, hurting enough and I've heard enough horror stories and some of those stories are in this room right now. And you're just going, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can try again. But yet you're hungry for the very thing. I'm speaking to the very hunger that's in your heart with the stories that I'm telling around mentorship, mentorship. And it's the Lord speaking to you today. You can hope again. You can hope again that 
a, a brother or a sister in Christ could meet you in that place. And that, yes, you have a good vertical relationship, but God wants to strengthen those horizontal relationships and give you relationships where you get to invest and receive. And this is kingdom life, and it can be yours. Amen. Does everybody, be, does everybody believe me with, on that point? Let's believe together for that. Not only that that would be like a one-off thing or like a miracle thing, that we would be a spiritual family that does that. Wow, wouldn't that be awesome? It's like, gosh, I've got, we have so many opportunities because there's so many people that understand the healthy principles of mentorship and receiving mentorship. And it's like, there's just an abundance. It could be like the spiritual garden of Eden and mentorship and menteeship in this spiritual family. I really believe that. But you know where the answer starts? It doesn't, I promise you it doesn't start with transformation, right? I mean, it does start with transformation right here, but it starts with me experiencing transformation and healing in my heart, you hearing the testimony, and you believing and doing the hard work of heart work for yourself at the altar, around the table, on the road. So that's the one on the table. Be a, be a mentor that sows generously in the lives of others and be a mentee that shows uh, Find mentors to which you can show honor. Be a mentee that shows honor. Good. So now you're ready. I'm closing in final six minutes on the road. You ready for my two most exciting components of road? These two are my real favorites. You guys believe me? <laughs> you're like, you said the other ones were your favorite. I don't know if I believe you. No, these are really, all of these are my favorites, but this, these are really good ones. You will be enriched in your life as a disciple. Are you guys ready? On the road, if you have confidence in sharing your story, and if you have exposure to different cultures and nations. If you have confidence in sharing your story, sharing the testimony of what God's done in your life, and exposure to different cultures and nations. And so the confidence in sh sharing your story, I was reminded that we did the testimony sharing workshop, and that's on, uh, hosted on my website, presencecenteredlife or hazenandhannah.com. You can go there and you can check that out. It's one of the recent posts. It's under the resources tab. And so we did that workshop just a, a few weeks ago. We did one virtually, one in person. We, did, we had a great showing for that. A bunch of people that are hungry to learn how can I share my testimony with greater confidence. And then we recorded the teaching portion of it. And that's available as a resource. One of the things I've started to do recently is I, I created some cards with a QR code. And I took time. I wrote out my story and then I recorded it. And it's been so much fun because it's been such an easy, natural way to share my story with people. I was on an airplane back from a ministry trip this weekend, and I'd been sharing with my friend Andrew how I'd been doing this, and he leans over to me because we, we had somebody sitting on a row with us. We'd had a good conversation. We talked mostly about Marvel movies and whether they'd seen the new one or not, and just kind of just making small talk throughout the flight. We really didn't have a very spiritual conversation, you know, and then I, like, I'm just telling you this because sometimes like you seem like a super Christian, all your stories. This is one where it's like, I just did the bare minimum, but who knows how God's gonna use it, right? And so he goes, give him one of your cards. My friend Andrew reminds goes, give him one of the cards. So I got it out of my wallet, you know, and, uh, and I said to the young man, I can't even remember his name now, we'd have a great conversation. He was going to join his family and on vacation, and he, had, uh, he was a nurse, and, uh, and so he'd been sharing about his journey into medicine. He's about to go from being a nurse to a doctor. And so we just had this enjoyable time on the flight, just getting to know each other. And so I say, hey, I'm a pastor. This is my personal story. If you have any questions about spirituality or anything you want to talk about, I would just love to answer them for you. And he goes, my family's Hindu, but I've been seeking w what I want to do in terms of, of religion and faith. And he goes, I, I, I don't really know what I want to do. This is like as we're getting our backs, right? 
And I go, well, if you have any questions, here's my email. I'd love to answer your questions, and there's some free resources and content. And I go, I just sowed a little seed into this guy's life, had a, like half a spiritual conversation, talked more about Marvel than I did about Jesus, just an honest conversation with you guys tonight. But I'm walking away going, Lord, use that card. Use that willingness to be a little bit bold in my faith. Use my willingness to write out my testimony and make a video. Like, and guess what? Almost anyone in this room can do what I just did. I promise you, you can, you know. And if I, if I had felt led to share my story with him, I know I could have. I could have said, hey, can I just share with you how Jesus changed my life? Like, I grew up in a religious environment. I knew what it was to have a time alone with God and read my Bible and journal my thoughts. And I prayed, but I thought it was a one-way conversation. And then at the lowest point of my life, the voice of God began to break in. I began to realize the God of the universe loved me and wanted to speak to me. And it changed everything. Because I realized if God wants to speak to me, I better start listening. And I just started asking, God, what do you want me to do with my life? God, come and lead me, guide me today. And those simple prayers at my lowest place of dependency completely transformed my life because God began to speak with me and I began to walk with God in a way that I've walked with him ever since. And I believe any person who desires after God can have that same relationship with him, right? And it's like, you know, you don't have to be, you don't, like what you just, you're like, I don't know if I could ever say what you just said. <laughs> I promise you, you can. Like a little bit of practice, a little bit of intentionality. How many people here remember uh, high school chemistry class? You had to memorize the periodic table of elements and then you promptly forgot it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I love giving this example because everybody's like, I know exactly what you're talking about. If you could memorize the periodic table of elements for your high school chemistry class, you can memorize the foundational aspects of your story and learn to say them clearly, right? And learning to do that, share the story of what Jesus has done in your life. People will listen to that and just go, that's amazing. Like, wow, thank you for sharing. Like, you share it in a winsome way, in a way that's loving, and people are gonna be attracted to that. And you know, it's, it's, you're gonna share it in a way that you're gonna begin prophesying to people's lives. You didn't even realize you were doing it. And I'll sometimes share my story and people go, you know, the, the exact things you just said, that's the, my exact same situation as the Spirit leads you in those conversations. So you can be confident on the road in sharing your story. That is the mark of a well-discipled life. And, and also you're modeling for others what it is to share your faith every time you share the testimony of what Jesus has done in your life. And there's testimonies big and small, and someone asked me in the workshop, they said, does it have to be your salvation testimony? How many people in this room have been healed of something in your life physically? That's amazing, right? There's probably five, six testimonies right there. How many have been delivered of something demonic or some oppression in their life? How many of you have seen some kind of miraculous provision where you were like the, the, the check with the exact number showed up in your life for the bill that was the exact same number? How many have seen that happen, right? All those are testimonies. The stories of God's goodness and just learn to share those stories. You have a wealth of amazing things that God has done in your life if you're a disciple and you can just, you can just let that light shine. Amen. First John 1, 1, it says, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. John is going, hey, what I'm about to tell you and write to you about, it comes out of my personal experience with God. And I just think that's so powerful. And in the same way, we can share what we've touched, what we've heard, what we've experienced of Jesus, and it will enrich the lives of people we intersect along the road. So the last one, a component of a discipled life, exposure to different cultures. Uh, 
I've been intentional. I, I was exposed to different cultures because I had a, a family culture that wanted me to be well-educated. And so for the purpose of education, I did all kinds of different, I did a cultural, and I was interested in it. So instead of, instead of like more typical like summer camp and things like that, I did, I did travel, and I traveled a good bit for a young age. And so I've been all through Western Europe. I went on a cultural immersion program to China. I went to Berlin, and, and those were just all in my high school years. And, and I'm grateful for that, but something began to change in my life when I began to go on missions. And it was like instead of for receiving my own pleasure and interest and a sense of adventure, you know, instead of serving myself for the purpose of travel, I began to experience other cultures for the purpose of the kingdom. And I remember going to Haiti for the first time and like having prayer meetings for the nation of Haiti, and that was one of the first places. Going to Kenya for the first time on a medical missions trip with my mother-in-law, who's a, a doctor, and she went, and, and there was a group of doctors that we went with, and I was new in ministry, but the doctors were like, you do all the ministry stuff. So I was the worship leader, I was the prayer leader, I was the preacher, I was the children's pastor, everything non-medical they made me do on that missions trip. And it was such a great experience, because I, I just got to do a little bit of everything. I got to, I got to you know, prophesy and pray and preach and worship lead, and it was great. And just to do it in a different cultural context requires where you don't know the language, where you don't know the cultural norms, it makes you feel even more a little bit like a baby and a little bit more dependent on your heavenly daddy, right? And so it's like a well-discipled life. One of those things is you're willing to step out of what's normal and comfortable and, and be sent by God to a place where you're uncomfortable and things are abnormal. And I can just tell you, I, I know it enough, like you go, hey, who here in this room, your, your life was changed by some experience, interaction of serving God in a culture different than your own, right? It's one of the beautiful things about the kingdom of God. One day we're gonna all experience the beauty of the unity of heaven where there is gonna be a unity in the midst of vast diversity. And it's like the languages. It says that there's gonna be many tongues around the throne, which means we're not gonna all just revert back to one homogenous culture, right? There's gonna be this beautiful tapestry of humanity in the heavenly reality. And when we get to touch that in the kingdom of God, it brings us into the story that is bigger than our individual culture and experience, right? And so that's the last feature of a well-discipled life. We're three minutes over that I wanna bring you into is just a kingdom exposure to different cultures and nations. And so in closing, I just want to encourage you, all the things that I've talked about, the opportunity to mentor and be mentored at the table, the opportunity to learn to pray in a way that brings breakthrough, the opportunity to walk in a spirit of revelation, to be under the teaching of people that understand what it is to have the spirit of revelation, to grow in confidence in your sharing story, and then to be exposed to different cultures and nations. The best way that I can tell you how to grab a hold of a bunch of this stuff, I promise you it's not just a commercial for our D school, but it is the reality that, that our D school is gonna have a ton of those components in it. And our short-term missions trips are gonna be great ways for you guys to do that. And I think God is about to open the door for some of us. And if those are things that you want actively in your life, I wanna challenge you to pay the price of time and money and effort to do one of the things that we're setting before our spiritual family right now in this next season. Amen, let's stand, we'll close. So Lord, I just thank you for each person in this room. I thank you that you are creating hunger in our hearts to be a well-discipled spiritual family, a spiritual family that goes deep in the knowledge of God around the altar, the table, and the road. I thank you for just this kind of survey of, 
of things that are possible in God that we've walked through tonight. And I pray, Lord, that people, the unique invitations that were in this message for each person in this room would be felt and there would be grace to say yes. And so I just bless, Lord, the, the hearers, both online and in the room, grace to say yes to the invitation of God in the altar, the table, the road, in the practice, in the rhythm, and in the season. And I ask, Lord, that they would be so filled with joy as they share their story, as they engage cross-culturally, as they enter into mentorship relationships, as they pray prayers that apprehend answers and they walk in a spirit of revelation, I pray the mark of joyful discipleship would be upon their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, Gate City. I truly love you. Go in peace. Amen.